we say it's important for you to understand the deal, but it's even more important for you to understand us and our team. I think we have like 81 investors in our first year. And it's just because we're transparent and we seek ethical practices and we, we just want you to come and ask us anything. Welcome to the Seven Figure Flipping Podcast, where we take you behind the scenes of wholesaling and house flipping businesses. The systems and automation that we discuss will help you build a real business instead of another job for yourself. From beginners to those doing hundreds of thousands a year, we go deep into the details and strategies that are working today. And now your host, Bill Allen. Hey everybody, welcome to the Seven Figure Flipping Podcast. This is Bill Allen and today I've got a very interesting guest for you guys. We're talking about raising money and we just had Susan Laster-Lyons on the podcast talking about her book, Getting the Money, and then we brought on a couple different members from a mastermind group to talk about how they're raising money right now. And Becca Shea, who you all know, has put me in contact with my guest today who raises a lot of money for pretty big deals as we were talking pre-show about, which I'm really excited. If you look at the background, He's probably going to talk about it, but he's got one of his deals there right behind him. And uh, if you're watching on YouTube, it's pretty cool. Right before this, that wasn't there. So it was like magic. So um, I'm really excited to talk to him today because I'm sure that I'm going to get some tips and tricks and kind of learn a little bit more about his business because he's not in our world. So um, has a podcast of his own and doing some really big things. So please welcome to the show, Josh McAllen. Hey, Josh. Wow. Bill, looking forward to it, buddy. Uh, I can tell from your energy, this is just a heck of a great community. I'm so glad to meet it. Yeah. I'm, I, I get really excited about this stuff. Whenever we talk about deals and money, I'll tell you, for some reason, money is like, it's just so exciting for me. Ever since I was a little kid trying to figure out how to turn a dollar into $2 and sometimes getting in trouble for some of the things that I was doing, but money has always just been something that I love to talk about. So... <laughs> Well, we, yeah, and, and you're right. I mean, I'll, I'll share a little bit, uh, you know, some of the things we're doing, whatever you'd like. To, you tell me where to go with it, Bill. I'm yeah, why, all yours. You know, you're, you're new to our audience, most likely, and some of them may have heard your podcast or know who you are, but it, why don't you just take a few minutes to tell us a little bit about your background, kind of where you started and what you're doing now? Well, I'm a grateful guy, first of all. I'm very honored and, and uh, blessed here. Melanie and I have been married, my lovely wife, 22 years, and we are wow. having our 10th baby this week. So hopefully by the time you publish this, we have a baby. You, you have 10 hands. kids? This will be 10. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. That's same impressive. lady, same lady straight through 20, 20 year difference in age from the oldest to the youngest. So, uh, but uh, you know, we're, we started with uh, the very simplest story starts 18, 19 years ago. We bought a small duplex. I talked to Melanie or actually it was 21 years ago. I talked her into buying a duplex instead of a house uh, right off the bat and, after a lot of different cool careers in between, now we resort flip, if you want to call us that. Maybe we're the seven-figure flipper for resorts. I love it. I love it. So, and, 10 and kids. I, and I'm, yeah. You know, so I've got three kids. I got a five-year-old, a three-and-a-half-year-old, and, a half year old and uh, my baby just turned two years old uh, last weekend. So, uh, and we have some members inside the mastermind that have 11 kids. We have a, two that have 11 and one that has 12, I think. And so we no have way. some big, bigger families. Yep. So you got Nobody's some Nobody's ever beaten us. Well, Wait uh, a second. You, you got some work to do. Uh, I think they, uh, I think their, their kids are a little bit closer together. They've got, um, okay. they've got right. some interesting stuff. It's, uh, I, I, I'm just in awe of that, you know, and I just shared something myself where I feel like when I went from one kid to two kids, it was a huge jump. And then from two to three, a big jump. And now when I have just one or two of them that I have to take care of at a time, it's easy. And I almost <laughs> just get like trained to be used to it then. So I'm sure if you have like six kids that you have to take on a trip or something, you go, that's not that big of a deal. And I'm crying over it's three. Not. So I'll tell you what, man, um, 
children are such a blessing. And, and uh, I was one of two kids. My brother became a Green Beret. Actually, he's still active duty. He teaches that halo jumping, high altitude, low open uh, in Yuma. Yeah. He's an instructor. And I'm so freaking honored uh, to be his brother. So he's a little younger than me. Uh, but it was just the two of us. My wife was the one who helped set the path of a bigger family. She's from a big family and she taught me how to be a good guy. And uh, I was happy to uh, follow. You know, it's actually always easier to be the dad of a big family than it is to be the mom because it hurts to be a lady. It's not, it doesn't hurt so much to be a dad. But anyway, so we're happy. By the way, you are right about having more sometimes gets easier or maybe it's perceived easier because we delegate. You know, it's a lot of entrepreneurial leadership in our house. If, if you, we have three tiers, we call them the bigs, the mids, and the littles. And basically, if you're anything above the littles, you're in charge. Okay, so you're in charge. And actually, the oldest of the littles, her name's Maggie, uh, Molly. Forgive me, Maggie's my oldest. Molly, you're in charge of the two littles. You better make sure that they do this X, Y, and Z. And we're just constantly delegating authority. So it's been good training for entrepreneurship, I'll tell you that much. Well, we had a guy speak at our master or at our uh, Flip Hacking Live event, our big event every year. His name's Walter Bond, basketball player. And he said, uh, we're a training and, training and development company masquerading as a family. And Ooh. I said, this is awesome. I love this quote that he uses. Every, our, we're a training and development company in everything that we do, our family, our job, our work. We just masqueraded as different things, you know? So I, oh, I, I've stolen it and used it, recycled it so many times. I, I love that concept because we're having meetings, we're having plans, we're coming up with structures just like you have in your family. It's really cool. But you I think teach, one thing- Tell that? me his name again. I'm writing. I'm literally his, yeah, writing. His name, his name is Walter Bond, B-O-N-D. Oh. So great motivational speaker. If you ever get a chance to listen to him, I'm he's unbelievable. Look him up. And uh, so, but you said something that was saying, you know, as we get bigger, it's it becomes a little bit- um, easier, right? So what I've noticed that even in my business as we've flipped, yep. you know, more and more houses. So I assume now you build your process and procedures out for raising more money or growing a bigger, you know, flipping a resort like you have behind you. And it becomes just kind of what you're used to. So then going back to, you know, doing bigger things becomes easier. Well, there's a part we get, we give a speech recently on a, um, you know, uh, I'm sure you're, uh, if you don't know much about the IRAs and self-directed IRAs, that's something I spent a little bit of time learning over the last 18 months. So I'm giving a presentation to a big IRA company, to their audience, and we, we explain to them the difference between smaller deals and bigger deals. And usually families don't have access to the deal size and scale of our projects as a family or as an individual investor. And that's where our collective investing called syndication comes in. So what we explained on that webinar or that seminar was that sophistication is possible. Like business sophistication, meaning duh, division of labor, is possible and creates security for your invested dollar at a slightly larger scale than one property at a time or one person at a time. Both can be wonderful. Investing in your cousin Jimmy's flip can be wonderful and very lucrative. I'm not doubting that at all. But it also does rely on Jimmy, and Jimmy may have no other help, which is okay. Jimmy's pretty darn good at what he does. But uh, a sophistication that we can provide tends to be a great fit for many, many families, and they like the fact that we have a head of operations, a head of finance, a head of land development, and that we are great operators as well as purchasers of deals and the whole kit and caboodle. So you're right, and same thing with a big family. We, we the sophistication for us is you will get leadership training no matter what in our house. And uh, we have a saying you're going to love, Bill. It says, if mom's working, 
and every kid in unison has to chant back the mantra, then I'm working. Or if dad's working, they have to chant back, then I'm working. Because there's no such thing as dad doing the dishes while you sit there and watch the show. No freaking way. Everybody gets up and helps. I love that. If dad's working, you're working or I'm working. Yeah, that's yeah. great. So, yeah, uh, that's, and that's what we're getting. Right now, our kids are so small, it's like they're sitting there crying while I'm doing stuff. That <laughs> doing. But we'll get there. We'll get there. Maybe seven more kids later, we'll have a full training, <laughs> training and development team. I got a full basketball team with five subs. It's pretty amazing. So, one thing that you mentioned, we did talk about relational uh, money raising, because that's really what it is, it, especially right. even in a syndication. Um, you could have that person who is the syndicator that is a bad dude. And that turns out to be, it looks, exactly. it looks good because there is that law of scale type thing where, you know, I'm only, I'm only in 50,000 and you expect that they got a great contractor and got all those things. But really I dig into that person. Like if I invest in syndications myself and same thing for us as even flippers doing one off that cousin, Jimmy, Really, I'm investing more in Cousin Jimmy a lot of times than I am necessarily exactly. in a deal. So how do we build that? Like, how do you guys do it? How do you build that um, kind of reputation and those relationships and, and you're going out and raising money for these deals? What do you recommend? Bill, I love the way you interview people. It's very intuitive. Um, and it's, it's, you got right to the heart right at the first question. So later, we'll come back and we'll give you our backstory because you'll understand how we got to this point. Actually, I, I think I'll have to give you some of the backstory. Sure. But in order to answer Bill's question, you know, seven-figure seven flipper family, I do have to explain that he's 100% right. When you're investing in Cousin Jimmy, it's because of Cousin Jimmy. It actually isn't the deal. The deal is the manifestation of trusting Cousin Jimmy. And you are, a Bill, you are 100% right. It's the same exact model for syndication. And I would argue it's the same model for Wall Street. And the problem with Wall Street is you can't know Jimmy. So that's where syndications are really interesting uh, middle ground in a way because you can come meet us. So going back a step, when we created our company that syndicates my wife and I, it's called Accountable Equity, Bill. And the reason we named it Accountable Equity was because, first of all, we've named uh, brands before for other companies. And we always say sometimes it's best to have the name be the mission statement. Uh, it's just clarity and it's a constant reminder. It's almost like a vision board. You know why you're here every day and what goals you have. So for our purposes, yes, we re invest in real estate. That is a resort typically. And we know how to quadruple the value in short periods of time and return capital. All of that is wonderful skill we have. But at the end of the day, people are investing in our project or our security. It becomes like a stock. And they need to know who we are and what we believe. So we put accountable equity right up front. So we, we do hold ourselves accountable for, and we put our equity in first, then your equity. And we, you know, just like we're cherishing the work we put in to create that equity, we're cherishing the work you put in to create that equity. So start there, no matter who you're going to invest in, what, no matter what specialty from mobile homes to self-storage to apartments, or in our case, the resorts, please get to know the syndicator as well as the deal. And when, when it's right, let me tell you the backstory, Bill. I'd love to tell you the backstory, how we got to this point. Yeah, please do. I'm ready okay. I don't want to monologue, so that's why I, I cut it off in case you wanted to probe me and disagree with me. That's no, fine, no, no, no. I, I, I try. I'll tell you what. I could, 
I can monopolize this thing and talk 80% of the time. <laughs> and I, I really have to fight to do that because the, the woman who put us in touch, Becca Shea, she listens to these things and gives me feedback and says, hey, you're talking too much. Let the guests talk more. <laughs> so I'm going to let you talk. And I'll tell you that. And then if, I'm gonna, if I need to jump in, I will, obviously. So, Bill, if you don't mind, this is going to be like a couple minutes and I'm going to share with you how we got to where we are. And maybe it's going to correlate to various people in your lives and on the podcast. I want to share with you some of the parts that are just like all of us, where we start small, grew up in poverty, was on welfare as a kid, single mom, one brother, good, good, good break upbringing though. We were loved and we got to work since we were 12. In the olden days, you could be a paper boy at 12 and uh, that is the best entrepreneurial training because you literally don't get a paycheck. You collect your own sales. It's hilarious if you think back to how crazy it is. Like nobody would ever let that happen today. Like no kids, you don't get a paycheck. You go make your own sales and make, collect your money, but whatever. So going fast forward, um, fell in love with, um, real estate probably from watching this old house, you know, mm -hmm. watching this. I always say this old house made me a handyman and made me fall in love with real estate. And I always say die hard made me ready to kill a man. <laughs> I, used to, <laughs> I used to say this old house made me a handyman and die hard maybe uh, a man. Uh, so, yeah, whatever. That's just my age group. So bottom line is we, we got into fundraising as a part of our overall universe of what we're trying to achieve. We're really, just like you're great at flipping houses, our true gift and calling in life is actually um, hospitality training and hospitality management. So we own a company called Viva May. You won't barely be able to see it, but below my logo here is it says a signature collection of Viva May. So every resort we buy is managed by our management company and our management company is no normal management company. And this is the crux of why we exist today. About 10 years ago, we had the chance working for high net worth people to come up with a business plan for them to turn around a speculative beachfront hotel they bought. They bought it in the boom days and it was now the bus dazed. And they're like, how do we get out of this mistake? And we brainstormed various ways for them to get out of this mistake because they were not hotel people. They bought it for the beachfront land. Okay, they were going to tear it down and build seven-figure flipping houses. Then the economy changed and they're stuck with this flea bag hotel on the beach. So we, and really was a mold-infested flea bag hotel, but it was on gorgeous beach. So we came up with a business plan to restore it physically. And that became my life's work for about a year from everything from hiring the designers to leading all construction, which I had done before for houses. You know, I had built very, very expensive flip houses, like $5 million beachfronts and crazy stuff. So here we were developing a business plan to flip a hotel. Well, it turns out, to cut the story short, we hired a management company. We delivered a gorgeous brand new looking hotel and the F word was a common word at the front desk when our other management company was running the place. Mm. And I felt my heart broke for everybody involved. You know, I was, the, I was the butt of the jokes because it was my business plan. We were failing. The management company wanted to quit. And it's mostly because we're up near New York and we have tough, tough clients. And um, they, it was seasonal and they were struggling like crazy to keep up with the demand and they just had all the wrong people and all the wrong systems. Um, anyway, we ended up letting them go and start slowly but surely to build our own management company. That management company really uncovered some beautiful truths about hospitality just from 
the School of Hard Knocks, and because I, you know, I'd been a waiter my whole life, we built a wonderful culture. Three years later, TripAdvisor ranked us the seventh number seven hotel out of America, out of fifty-five thousand, and this blew us away. Uh, we became we had already been the number one ranked hotel in our state for about a year or two. And we were getting glowing reviews and in three years had turned this thing in from a turd into a freaking powerhouse. And the end of the day was the way we did it was by recognizing the dignity of every guest and by training on the deep why, the W-H-Y. And we just, we just never gave up. And we got our butt handed to us so many times those first year or two before we knew how to really systematize restaurants systematize front desks, systematize experiences on resorts. We just plowed through and ultimately we, we, uh, we erred on the side of loving our guests too much. Like, like they felt loved. And if you go back, you can still read those reviews from 2013, 2014, 2015 from my first few hotels. And the reviews were not normal. They were all about, I've never felt this way. Uh, they basically were manifesting in reviews back to us, what we were trying to do. That changed my life, you know. Um, Melanie, who was not a colleague at the time, she I was working for like a family office. Uh, she just loved it, and we ended up coming up with principles of how hospitality can be life giving. Fast forward, we get an exit, we have some money, good amount of money, and we want to finish our mission in life. And our mission in life is to develop 100 resorts that cherish the guests to the point where we can revive the soul. So we end up naming our company Viva May um, after a lot of research and working with people. And Viva May means in French to revive the soul. And we always say we're flippers. So we're going to go in and physically revive the soul. And I can give you dissertations on how buildings that were built with the blood, sweat, and tears of whoever founded the resort probably put their heart into it and their soul. And we go through and we try to uncover that, kind of like this old house, you know? Mm -hmm. We uncover the elements that are beautiful, the reasons the place was designed the way it was, and we pull it back out and make it beautiful for today without taking away any of the history. But really, yes, that's reviving the soul of the building. Then we say, but really, it's equally important that we revive hospitality soul. And so we, um, Viva May was born a couple years ago. And our goal is 100 resorts. We'll probably have our second one purchased right around the time, or if not purchased, almost at least we'll be most of the way done our capital raise by the time you air this show. But our, our properties, this one we're in now is called Renault Winery Resort. It's in New Jersey. It's in a very special rural part of the country, but it was from 1864 and it's been open every day since then. And so we have 156 year history to protect. We're doing a very good job. And this reviving the soul thing, and this would be my last awesome speech, (laughs) part of my awesome speech here is, what does it mean to revive the soul of hospitality, you might be asking. And I say, here's how we explain it to our new hires, because we just hired, I think, 75 people last month, because we're growing pretty quickly. So we say, great news, Jenny, you are clearly the world's best that applied, the world's best applied uh, front desk manager. You know how to check people in efficiently. You know how revenue management works. You understand the business. You've been doing it for 15 years. We're going to share with you the three things that's going to take you to be happy here before you even interview. So if these three things don't make your heart scream happily, (laughs) 
and make you fall in love with working with us, then don't worry. It doesn't make you a bad person. It just means you're going to hate it here. And here are the three things. I hope the drum roll, please. We say, Jenny, everyone who joins Viva May has to, has to already have this in their heart. And if not, we'll share more about it, but I want you to hear it. Number one, joy of service. No one's allowed in these buildings unless they actually enjoy serving. Sounds simple, but not everybody enjoys serving. So we weed you out. You may have slipped through the cracks for eight years in a restaurant or a hotel, and you actually hate the work. You can't work here because this is very intimate stuff, and your body language and your heart will be communicated, and all your hate will come out. Can't work here unless you enjoy it. And we can't really teach you that. You know, there's people like me that enjoy holding doors for other people. There's, I don't even mind picking up cheeseburgers when Bill's kids throw them on the ground. Bill Allen's kids are notorious cheeseburger throwers. But, that, okay, so True number statement. one is joy. <laughs> joy. Here's where it gets interesting. And this was after research of multiple years of experience. Number two is humility. So there's, I'll summarize at the end. But humility, we say, Jenny, do you seek to grow in humility? Why do, I, why do I ask that, Jenny? Because everything we do in this job is humble. We, again, we hold doors and pick up cheeseburgers. We even clean toilets if we have to. We make beds if we have to. Depending on our job, we all have to do some kind of humble work. Therefore, we must seek it. We, we have to believe that the strongest amongst us are the ones that seek the humility. That being said, the third core is ministry. And we say, see, this is rare. We came on this one about five years ago before we had these resorts today. Ministry is what hospitality used to be. And you look it up and the etymology of the word is hospes. It's the same word. This is going to, I hope you're sitting down. Everybody who's driving, hold on to the steering wheel. This is where it gets crazy. But the word for hospitality, hospes in Latin or ancient European languages, was three English words today. And they all had the same staff and ministry focus. Hospitals, hospitality, and hospice were the same word in our cultures for a thousand years, more than a thousand years. So that means the heart you have to put in to be a doctor or medicine, the heart you have to put into hospice, which is unbelievably spiritual. It's all about passing away with, with love and respect in your heart, being respected and loved. Well, hospitality has the same inherent potential to improve people's lives. So those three core values are what we live for. And when we left the family office and had, we had a nest egg of money, but resorts cost millions. You know, our current, our current property we bought for 5 million, distressed, really got a bargain, like ridiculous bargain. And in one year, Cushman Wakefield appraised it at 19.5. So our property has quadrupled in value in less than 12 months. Why? Well, we, we dramatically improved the physical and then we sold the heck out of it with future contracts. So we, you know, we know what we're doing with that. But my point is, these are expensive. So I knew we would need money. And that was where our career as a fundraising syndicator started. But I'll take a breath. And before we get into the meat and potatoes of why they're listening, I want to make sure nobody swerved off the road. Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. There's a lot to unpack there. And just when I, when I, I wrote down some notes, the biggest thing for me is you, you made it it, like you made a change out of necessity. 
right? You brought in this hospitality, you, you started this hospitality company, this property management company effectively, because somebody else couldn't do it. And I see a lot of that as, as we start it, people, we have all ranges of people listening to this podcast. We have new flippers, people that are just interested in getting there. And we have people that are doing hundreds of houses a year. But what I found over the past years of my growth and my companies is there's a time where you'll hire a third party company and then you start outgrowing them saying, look, I'm putting my stamp on this. This is mine. This is my core values need to be here. If I'm trying to work with somebody else, they just don't bring what I need because I'm they're a direct reflection of me, which is what you guys had. And it, it se- sounds like, and you made this change out of necessity. You kind of brought it all in, in-house. And then that culture change was what really moved the needle for you guys. And that's what I saw in my company. I was very successful when I got started. We were wholesaling and flipping houses and we were making money, but the culture inside of my company wasn't what I wanted until I, I realized I brought in a COO. And then when I had to hand it off, I had to, when I moved out, what I saw was that the culture wasn't right because I was the one holding it all together. When the leader leaves, you really find out who's kind of managing the asylum at that point, right? And that's what I saw when my COO came in. And it, for those of you guys who are listeners who come to our events, they've heard me speak and him speak about these core values and culture being pr- probably the number one thing in any company if you want to be successful. And you really look at it and just go ahead and read like, read Good to Great by Jim Collins and he'll tell you exactly what you need to know. But that culture is so important. So your three core values, I have five core values in my company and we do the same thing. When we interview people, I didn't hire 75 people last month, but we, we do hire a couple people every month. Typically, we just had to let somebody go today and we're looking for that replacement. And it's just the fact that they're not typically when they're not performing, it's one of those core values that are being hit. It's not necessarily the performance or the aspirational side of who they want to be and what they want to do. It's the fact that they just, they're just not meeting those kind of those values that we need. And when you can't put your finger on it, when somebody is just like, they're just like, they're good, but they're not excellent or outstanding. It's typically that core value that's not lining up that you could point to if you actually have them. And so I've been harping on it for the last year and a half with this group is define your core values from the start and then start building your company and hiring around it. Because in the beginning, it's easy when you hire two or three people, of course, they're going to be direct reflections of your values typically. You know, if you're hiring right and they're, they're staying on, they're doing a good job, you, it's easy to do that. But when you get to 75 people a month, you've got to define them really, really well. And everybody has to know them. Everybody in your company has to be able to say them. Like they have to train other people about that. And it has to be truly core to them. And that's where you get that good culture, I think, which is unbelievable. The fact that you can do that is amazing. Where, where What are the five that you espouse to? So mine, to learn from you. Yeah, mine are extreme ownership. So you got to take ownership of everything that you do. So um, it's not, oh, point the finger at, at everybody. It's, it's a book that I read by a guy named Jocko Willink, Navy SEAL, called oh, Extreme yeah. Ownership. When I read that book, we, we actually added it to our core values after we read that book. And he just spoke, he spoke at our conference uh, this last year in October. He's an awesome Damn. guy to meet. Good job. And then so the other ones, the, my next four spell SHIP, S-H-I-P. So stewardship, hardworking, integrity, and personal and professional development. So those are my five. And when, whenever, just like you said, when we do an interview, um, we, we're, we don't typically, I don't typically say, you know, do you take ownership of everything that you do? A good question that we use is tell me about the, if it's a salesperson, tell me about the last deal that you didn't get that you thought you should have gotten. And they'll tell you everything that you need to know about three to four of those core values right there. If they say, well, you know, so-and-so came in and offered a higher price. So I lost the deal. Um, if they say, you know, just point the finger at everybody. Or if they say, you know what? 
I, I didn't sit down and speak to that person long enough, or I didn't really listen and I missed a couple things that I should have used. And somebody else came in and, and offered some things that I could have, uh, some deal killers that I could have avoided and stuff like that. They really kind of take ownership of everything that they could have changed and done. Like what is, what's the last book you read or what kind of conferences have you been to? And just really dig into their personal and professional development side. And uh, typically the integrity and ownership kind of come hand in hand usually. But Absolutely. that's kind of, uh, that's, I, I love it. I mean, you're, you're speaking my language with all this stuff. And even a small, I mean, I, I own two small companies. I have about 15 people in each company. Um, and we're not hiring 75 people a month. But that is the number one thing, even if you're just hiring one or two people. So. Yeah, and, and to be fair, 15 and 15 is huge. That's a big group of people. We actually hired 75 because we're in a boom period right now. We do not hire 75 a month, thank God. But uh, we did hire 75 last month. So I, I couldn't agree with you more. And, and the thing about having core values like you've already brought up, reading Good to Great by Jim Collins, we, we are intentional and serious about what we're here to do. And we have a mission. So we do want to be honest with our people up front. You know, we try to set expectations and we do have people that come in. They, they actually, this is the biggest thing and I'll leave this conversation on at this point. We do hire people that go through that training or that interview process and they go to an initial culture training, which we do every single week with every single staff member on purpose and they fall in love with it and they come home and they're like, we're, we're excited. Let's, we'll take the job. We're excited. Three weeks later, they're not a good fit. So even though intellectually they wanted it, not everybody's, I don't know if you want to say uh, in, in harmony with what they say they want and what they, their actions show they want. And so we have people that we have to ask to move on or we share with them it's not a great fit. It happens even though we're so intentional. Um, usually it can end well though because we're very supportive of people's lives and we often recognize that if they're underperforming, they're probably not at peace. So there's a way to find a conversation that allows their departure to not be too upsetting. You know, that it's, it's interesting that you said that because you also have, it, that's letting somebody go is one thing. And typically, you know, six months later, they're usually thanking you for doing it. But because you actually care about them. You're coming from right. them as like, you know, you might say that you want this. This is an aspirational type job for you, but it's obvious like you're, you're just, you're just not there. You're not, we don't, we don't align. But the other thing that happened that I saw is they also weed themselves out. If they have to go to a culture training once a week and everybody else is like walking around, you know, humming things and really happy to be there and excited. And you're the one person who is the kind of unhappy and doesn't like the way that this feels, then they typically quit. I mean, it's the easiest way to get your culture in line and to get your core values really stated and, and owned by all those people that are on board. It's the easiest way to let the A players kind of just control the, the, the arena, right? And everybody else who's a B or C player is going, I don't feel comfortable here. And they're looking for somewhere else to go, which is great. So we saw a lot of that when we kind of changed the culture in the company. Yeah, it's incredible. No, you sound like, uh, it sounds like we're singing from the same hymnal. I, I would like to work with your company. Too bad you're in Nashville or else I'd come over and, and participate in some of your trainings. Yeah, we're in. We're up uh, here in New Jersey. You're we're, welcome we're, anytime. We're all around. Yeah, we've never made it to New Jersey with one of our events, but um, we have been. We went up to Baltimore one year. We, we're going to Chicago in July. We've done a couple things, and I'll see you. I'll see you in uh, in Pennsylvania next month for sure. So let's let's take uh, maybe uh, just a few minutes. What are some? Is there anything actionable? Like let's let's yes. go back to the time where, um, and it could be like big syndication deals or things like. But 
obviously you have these core values in place. So you're attracting the people just like that. Like your investors are likely those core value fits for you too. So you're attracting the kind of people that you want to work with. But what are some things that maybe our listeners could do that you've seen success even as far back as when you were just, you know, flipping houses or now flipping hotels and then resorts and all of these things. Um, what are some things that you've learned along the way and maybe some, some things that tripped you up too? No, there, there's a radical way to raise money that we're doing now that feel free to mimic or use. And I'm sure it's a combination of many people you've listened to in the past. Uh, yes, technically it's called syndication and technically it's a, a legal document that we put together called a private placement. So I want to give you a little, I'm going to give you the answer in a rich way, if you don't mind. So we, we went from working for very wealthy people who funded everything we initiated to not having their funds and having to figure out how to raise capital. So about 20 months ago, I embarked on how do you raise capital as a, as like in order to achieve our life's mission, we would have to be a capital company or we'd have to learn how to raise capital. And we, we only wanted to do it. We had one mentor that we had heard had done this before at the time, Dave Zook, who was mm -hmm. taught us all about the real estate guys radio podcast, which was excellent. We've been on that show before. And I told Melanie all about this. I said, here's what you do. It sounds like you, you need to learn this legal structure, hire a lawyer. It seems like there's some technical stuff to do. But more importantly, the eyes, like my eyes were open for the first time, like the blind man, that there's this whole other way to raise capital. Because, and this is why we created a podcast called Capital Hacking. Because for us, it was such an epiphany. Okay, let me, let me see if I'm like your listeners. 20 months ago, when I heard the word raise capital, I thought, who do I know who's rich that might want to invest a hundred grand or in my case, millions, but a hundred grand in this flip or 200 grand. And I would have racked my mind and I would have come up with the top 10 richest people I knew. And I would have tried to warm up a relationship with them and go sit with them. As a matter of fact, I did that 22 months ago. And for two months of doing that wasted effort, I realized that, uh, there, there's, there's a time and place for that, I'm sure, but that is so detestable to me right now because when you do it that way and you go and you call the one rich person you know or the two rich people you know, first of all, they don't usually like it, right? They don't, they're not that excited that you're coming to meet with them. They ask for money. They look at it as charity typically. Mm -hmm. And three, no matter what, how wonderful the deal is because you are not of their class yet, they will talk you out of the deal. That, you know, they're so smart, right? They're so smart and they know so much and they'll be able to tell you why your deal's not a great deal. So that is just a detestable thing for me and I'm not, I'm really not going to do it. And what my friend Matt Faircloth wrote in his book, I met him months later and he explained a very interesting thing. He called it capital providers need deal providers and deal providers need capital providers. And he probably just put that in there as a framework and I compliment him all the time. And we, I joke with him all the time. I'm like, you guys, you don't realize how helpful that was to me because it made equality. It was an equality. It's an equal gesture to invest cash as it is to find the deal and run the deal. It is not a servant and a master. Okay. So once those epiphanies started happening, I realized by going to a very important seminar that the real estate guys run, Ended up becoming an alumni of theirs, and now I speak a little bit at the conference, and I bring like 10 people with me as I don't make money on it. I just try to round up people from my podcast, and we go and learn how to raise capital. This is kind of my mission in life now. I want to 
open up as many people's eyes as possible to the fact that this does not have to be a mystery. There's actually a code. That's why we call our, t- our radio show. Our podcast is called Capital Hacking because there's a code. And if you're like Neo in the Matrix, you can figure out the code. And number one is it's not rich people. It's not the proverbial richest person you know code. That is probably the opposite of my model. So um, when I went to that seminar, I learned that the, you can, you'll have a legal structure, PPM. You'll get a lawyer. Don't worry about all the details right now. You can choose a type of PPM and private placement where you can either promote it publicly or you can only talk to people you know. We take the one where we can promote it publicly. It's called a 506C filing. We actually fill out the documents as if it's like a stock and the SEC blesses it as an exemption, uh, the securities exchange. Then we go and sell it. And the people who come to join it, we are very much like you, Bill. We say it's important for you to understand the deal, but it's even more important for you to understand us and our team. And we have transformed into what we call investor hospitality. Okay. Clearly it makes sense, right? I'm in hospitality. Uh, my eyes were open that every good person who has accredited status can join me. And I can't wait to share it with the world. I think we have like 81 investors in our first year. So we have a lot of investors. We're We've defied all the odds and it's just because we're transparent and we seek ethical practices and we, we just want you to come and ask us anything. Um, and uh, we have a great team. And so we go one step further and this is where I'll, I'll shut it off. We, we called it, we called our company accountable equity, as I told you, and we do seminars quarterly and uh, our investors can come and see their assets every quarter. Uh, we put on a four course meal and then we have a, a mastermind event. We put on a mastermind event for our current investors. And of course, new prospective investors come every time too. And what we're doing is actually just educating them on the tax strategies that we've learned or the, or the other, other cash flow opportunities from some of our network. We'll have our own investors who are famous presenters. Some of them are really famous people like MC Lobster from Cashflow Ninja or Matt Faircloth from Bigger Pockets. These people are our investors, so I let them speak because they're great. And we give a mastermind over a meals, over the wine and champagne we make. It's, it's absolutely uh, wonderful. It's absolutely wonderful. We do it quarterly. You know, this is a really interesting concept as I'm listening to you say that, trying to put it in my mind of my investors. So the, the best thing that we do is send out like a quarterly update email about how the company's doing. We, we let, you know, show them before and afters. We bring them in on Facebook lives and stuff to their properties and things. But Imagine if, if I, you know, set up, kind of flew them in, gave them the opportunity to come in and then I brought in my CPA or I brought in um, some, somebody who is pitching another syndication for them that, you know, yes. or we are starting to educate them on what to look for in deals and not just our deals, but really we're just kind of teaching them to be better investors. You know, it's really, that's really incredible. Okay. So if that's you got, what we're doing, Bill. I, I know. Not, I love it. It's not perfect. It's not perfect, but you know, our speakers, like I said, those people, Matt Faircloth, Liz Faircloth, they've been our presenters, uh, MC Lobster. It, honestly, it happened a little bit by accident, brother, because we're honest. It happened because our capital raise was so enormous. It was our first time we've ever raised a dollar and we raised $7 million. So it's hard to go from $0 to seven, $50,000 at a time, $100,000. Yep. So what it, it took more time than we thought it was going to take. So we ended up designing a quarterly event. And then we said, instead of it being about capital raising, let's just make it value add. 
for everybody. And then by making it value add, it just grew beautifully. It's organic. Um, so those yeah, are and you and you've got ideas. now you've got brand ambassadors that leave there that are so excited about your event and are sharing it and telling uh, telling their friends and they're at the poker t- game with the other guys that have a bunch of money and they're saying, oh, I just got back from this, you know, winery or wherever you guys have it, and I learned about all of these things. And they say, well, exactly. how do I learn about that stuff? I mean, you're just creating this ripple effect. It's the pebble in the pond that is going out there, and it, you got soldiers out there working for you now, and it's Amen. it's. A, it, you, we could do this in our in the single family real estate world. You know, we could do this in in everything that you do. I've got dozens of investors that invest in our our projects and properties with me. That I could just add more value. It just goes back. I mean, I just interviewed Bob Berg from uh, wrote the, the Go Giver. Um, oh, it may be a book that you've read, but he's. Uh, I mean, the, his first law was just that when you deliver more value than you ask for in payment then that, that's, that's the, the first law of business, period. If you can give more value, and that's what you're doing. I mean, you're just adding value to these people's lives, and obviously, they're going to want to reciprocate. They're want to uh, you know, do something else with you. They're going to want to, you become the expert again. So, yeah, really cool stuff. I think that we could do that in this world, and I don't uh, know. You could. You I don't really know anybody could, right? else who's doing it in the single family. I, I don't even know a lot of people that are doing that in the, the multifamily big, big picture stuff. So, that's really cool stuff. Um, and I think that's, you know, we talked about some, in some of the other podcasts that we did, we talked about the tips and tricks and what to say and what kind of documents you need and all of that stuff. But this is, this is really that concept of kind of digging that well, right? You've got enough right. people that come in that now, like you said, we raised $7 million and it was, it was necessity. It was the timeline. It was all of these things, but it's hugely valuable for an investor. A lot of times my investors, I'm talking one-on-one with them for their tax strategies, the 1099 that they're going to get. What does it look like? IRAs, 401ks. What if I could bring them all into one room and, and do that one on many where now my time becomes you know, more valuable and I can just bring them all in at once and they can bring a friend or bring another person or yes. hey, somebody who's interested, start to learn about who we are, meet the other people, walking testimonials all around that event, I'm sure. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, it's clearly a win-win, Bill. I mean, you and I are intentional people and we do podcasts. Uh, like I said, you have this incredible podcast. Sounds like you get some of the best guests. I'm honored to be part of that list, man. Thank you so much for having me on. And yeah, just Jocko you're right. Bob Berg. It's, <laughs> it's just, it's, yeah, it's, that's pretty damn awesome. But Bill, <laughs> uh, the point about we should, you and I should riff on this for just one minute. The reason guys like Bill and I do podcasts uh, is multitude. I'm sure there's many reasons for Bill and I, but the big surprise for me was how much, rapport you get to build with your guests. I never saw that coming or the education factor. I did it mostly for education for everyone and I knew I'd get some education, but really it's for, it's just so much professional development to be a podcast host and to take it seriously and to work at it like you do. Um, But it's also beautiful how you get to develop incredible relationships with your guests because you take such a sincere interest in them as you are with me. I appreciate that, Bill. Yeah, well, I'll tell you what, I'm, I, next thing I'm going to do when I get off of this is I'm going to go look at uh, some of your videos. I'm going to see what this looks like. <laughs> I'm going to hack what you're doing because I'm going to figure out brother. how to do it. And that's why we, we called our event uh, Flip Hacking Live because we're going to hack all Amen. the other flippers. So, I mean, it's, it's like it really is about we don't need to reinvent the wheel. What we do need to do is we need to continue to share the stories. And what any, when I hear somebody's story, it's like your story is going to relate to somebody out there. Somebody out there needed to hear this right now today. And it's like every time I go to church, every Sunday, it, it's like, it's like the, the pastor is talking to me or he's talking to somebody. Somebody there needs to hear that message. And I shared something on my Facebook page yesterday that 
you know, I, I said, if just one person needed to hear this today, then it was worth me sitting down for 20 minutes and writing out this, this message. And, you know, that's, that's why I do what I do is because, you know, if I can add value to folks on this podcast, and even if just one person needs to hear this or it, they resonate with it, and this helps one person raise $7 million in a couple months, right? And it's going to be amazing. And the feedback that we get is, I, I don't know, it's all about giving back and just go back to that go giver uh, so podcast wonderful. I did. It's, the more we give, you know, Zig Ziglar has probably the best quote. Oh, right? yeah. 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 It sounds like you and I, and how about Ogmundino? And oh, yeah. I'm a big Dale Carnegie guy because yeah. I just uh, just loved his heart on how he treats other people. But Bill, I'm still I, trying I to get less sit- around on the podcast and guys like that. So if you know any of those guys, Woo, just send them Good over, for man. you. That'd be awesome. Our biggest success was getting endorsed by Mr. Robert Kiyosaki for Capital Hacking. We are so freaking stoked by that. He's a big, uh, he really did a good job. He did a great interview with us as well. Oh, that's awesome. Uh, well, you know, every time I do one of these, I say, Hey, who do you guys know that I need to know? And, um, and how can we share some, some of our resources? Because that's what it is. It's about, you know, who do you, I'll tell you, this is a people business hands down. If buying real estate, flipping real estate, doing whatever you do, raising capital, raising money, it's all about the people. And you're obviously treating the people right. And it's, it's a concept that, it, it's lost a lot of times by us. It's if we take the hospitality mentality, like you are this going back and serving your, your folks. I mean, obviously you, you have the resorts, you have the places yeah, to do, you helpful. have the staff, it's, <laughs> you got a pretty nice outlet. It's not, it's not going to, it's, it's, it's already in the operating expenses. So, um, but it's the same thing for us. Like when we do flip hacking live, we do our big event that we have some VIP stuff that we do. We really take care of our clients, the people who are already paying us, our members, they're the big VIPs at that event. You know, I, I make sure I spend a lot of time with them. We're doing, we're doing things. When I bring in a, a guest like Jocko, we all had dinner with him. So I'm making sure that, hey, when I hire somebody like that to come in, we're having dinner with 180 people, Jocko. I hope you're okay wow. with that. And then do some Q&A with them because I really want them to feel special. And that's what it's about is it's a people business. You make sure that you're providing as much value as you can to your clients, customers, investors, partners, all of those people. If you take care of them, then they're going to take care of you. And we talk about a lot. I've, I've lost money on deals before, but my investors have never lost their money. And that's the biggest thing for me is making sure, and they don't even know that we lost money on the deal because I didn't come to them and say, Hey, we're losing money. Can I pay you a little bit less? Or, Hey, can I just give you the principal back and not have this huge interest payment? No, I, I want them going out there just bragging about who we are and what we do because I know that if I lose money on one deal out of the hundred that I do, it will be fine. You know, it's not a big deal. But if I lose that investor, I lost my name. It's that, it's that integrity core value, right? It's that Absolutely. Uh, stewardship back to the community and to my team and my staff and everybody around me. So, um, well, I, I, you know, you said, uh, you said, are you doing them a favor? And the answer is no. It's like um, you go to these people that have a lot of money and it feels like you're, you're asking for a loan instead of, you know, providing them an opportunity. Right. And that's really the change in mindset that I had. It sounds like you had it around the same time of let's just go out and create opportunities for other people to invest in and really feel like we're adding value to them. They're, we're not it's going a fair to trade for something. It's definitely a fair trade. And, and we always appreciate and we're so grateful to the people who invest their capital. And you know what? Because we are so transparent, I think um, they are also very happy with the hard work we're doing. So it's a very much a gratitude, gratitude um, as we work hard to make their money grow. 
Yeah, and I'm sure they're happy because you got 10 kids to take care of. So uh, they, <laughs> you gotta, they gotta make sure that you're making on. some money too. <laughs> so That's take right, care baby. Of those kids. So, um, all right, well, how can, uh, how can we help you? How can some people go find you? Um, is there anything that an I honor. can do to plug? Yeah, I mean, it's an honor. I mean, I hope, uh, first of all, we're excited about doing more shows like yours. So thank you very much for having us on. Our Capital Hacking Show is about at 100 episodes. It's very successful from our point of view, and we'd love to introduce it to more people. We do explore this whole idea that human capital is actually technically more important than cash capital. That's what we go into. We start with that premise, and then we find great ways to help people raise capital. Um, but all, you know, accountable equity is the number one way we can all get together. You can just go to accountableequity.com, and there's web forms there. There's information. You can reach us within 10 minutes. And uh, we look forward to bringing you into the fold. Bill, we want Bill Allen to be at our next Learn and Grow event as a guest, you know. <laughs> and come see what we do, man. Stay at our beautiful resort. Play awesome. some golf. Well, after this, I'll just have to find out how big of a check I have to write to come to the event. So. Now, well, that is usually uh, 50 bucks. That's the most it is. Oh, hey, now we're so talking. The, I'll, yeah, let me, 50 I'll bucks. check with my controller and see if I can handle that. <laughs> 50 but. bucks. So, no, it's not the, there's no real barrier to entry on the events. Well, it's, that sounds exciting. And if, if I tell you what, I, I love to attend uh, personal development events. Obviously, it's one of my core values, but I, I make sure that I figure out where, I, where I'm going, plan my year, what can I do, Amen. and what do I need? Like, what are the things? So, for you guys that are out there, um, I, I talk about this a lot, but don't go read the five books that we just mentioned on this podcast if it's not the time for you to read them. Don't go read 50 or 100 books this mm. year just to say that you did it. Go figure out that one thing that you need. What is it? And if it's raising money, I've already shared a great book. If you read that book by Susan Lester Alliance, you will have a mindset shift and change and listening to this podcast that you're already doing, you'll be where you need to be. But don't go pick up Good to Great and don't go pick up The Go-Giver and don't go pick up all the other books that we mentioned and all the other speakers and all the other websites and all those things. Like, Go find what you need and, and execute on that because all the knowledge in the world is one thing, but actually doing something with it is the key. So for me, if... I'll tell you, I will go to one of these events because if I want to put on one of these events, what better to do than to go to it and figure out what it looks like and what it is. And every event I go to, I run events, I put on events, I bring in speakers. I go basically looking for speakers, looking for people, looking for how, how you put this together. What's your hospitality like? Like, how can mm -hmm. I learn from you and do those things? So, I mean, this concept of, of hacking the pros and doing all these things is, is drilled into me because when I joined this mastermind group four, four and a half years ago, as a paying member of this mastermind group that I now own, I, all I did was take Andy McFarland, my mentor's model, and just and, and what everybody else was doing and make a Frankenstein business that has become widely successful. So you can do it too. Use some of these techniques, but don't get lost. Like too much information, too many books, too many ideas, too many concepts, too many podcasts, frankly, can become <laughs> overwhelming to you other than, other than Josh's podcast and my podcast, obviously. <laughs> Um, but like it becomes, it becomes really overwhelming. You can spin your wheels and this is where you get stuck in that uh, procrastination section because everybody is saying something. Everybody's got a message. You've really got, like you have your, the people that you listen to, the people that have developed you and molded you into where you want to be. So what I always tell people is find those core value fits, find those people that you know, like, and trust, and then listen to them and follow them and really kind of devour their stuff and really dig into that. And, and go with them. Don't get confused with all the noise out there. So much noise right now in well said. Facebook, well, Instagram, all the stuff. Well said, Bill. Uh, and it's funny because 
you also brought up at the beginning of your, your opening there, you said, uh, find the right book or the right podcast of, of all the things we mentioned, there's too many things to do, but there's one that may have triggered your heart, you know, or, you know, you, you really were like, Oh, I didn't know that. You're right. That's that whole saying where it says the teacher will appear when the student is ready. You're right. We're, we're not ready. You and I are not ready for all the information of the world right now, but, but our heart is kind of leading us to the right pieces. And so hopefully you and I helped a lot of people on this podcast. Yeah, I think we did. And, um, and you're right. The, mo- the most powerful thing that I can do right now in my journey is say no. Uh, it's so hard to say no to things. It's just, I just want to do everything. So it's really, it's really a struggle to say no and do it the right way and just let somebody know now's not the right time. I really have to focus on my family. I need to focus on my business, those things. So I know we helped a lot of people today. I know if just there's, it, it didn't like some of the stuff that we talked about, really, it was in, incredible to see just hammering home the core values and the culture because I mean, I can say it from stage. I can say it, I can say it over and over again on the podcast, but um, sometimes you need to just bring somebody on who is widely successful in what they do to say the exact same thing and then just hear it over and over and over again. It's the most important thing. And it it, it's the start of everything that we do, which I it think- is. And, and, you know, Bill, maybe you and I and the people you and I surround ourselves with are not always the norm. You know, um, the fact that you and I talk about core values and we're like legitimately dead serious about it is a wonderful thing. And so there's, it's a wonderful thing because you and I have also been at businesses or worked for people that didn't actually have a core value. And it was mostly drifting through their business, through the way they treated people. For us, it's extremely intentional and I can tell it is for you as well. And that in and of itself is, if that's what's triggering people's heart today, then, you know, that was maybe what we added to the, to the world. Because not everybody cares as much as you and I do about this. And, and we're, you and I are trying to emulate where we believe the growth is. And that is by, you know, things like good to great, following that model is our intention. I think I'm on, we're on the path to grow a large business. And we already are larger than most. Um, it sounds like you are too. Yep. And, and hopefully you guys are listening to that because uh, it's, it's one thing to make excuses be that, yeah, yeah, but they have this. Yeah, but they did this. Yeah, yeah. But we all started at the same place, maybe just different time. So take it. You, I'm, I'll tell you right now, just go build out your core values. Just start there. Just please, That's please, a great please, point. Please. So you know what you want. You That's know, exactly yeah. it. And then if you're you intentional about where you're going. Exactly. Because you're going to get there. <laughs> if yep. you, you can get somewhere you don't want to be. Bill, you are the best, man. Thank you for that. <laughs> well, thanks for coming on, Josh. I really appreciate it. I had fun. And this is, you know, this is always fun for me. This is, I, I, I'm not an artistic guy. I'm an engineer. I love numbers like zeros and ones, but this is like my creative outlet here. And I absolutely love it. It fills me up. So um, I'm a closet introvert, but this, uh, these podcasts always, uh, I just enjoy them. I really do. So thanks for uh, spending time with me. And I'm dead on the nose because I'm a military guy with military precision. So Josh, thanks a lot for having, for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having us. We can't wait to be part of your community more and more. All right, Josh. See ya. Hey, hey, thanks so much for sticking around to this incredible podcast that I did with Josh McCallan. It was really a lot of fun listening to him kind of talk about his core values and his culture and everything that they're doing inside of his company. And even at that scale, obviously buying and flipping hotels and uh, large scale buildings like these uh, resorts and things that he's doing now, it, it just all comes back to that thing that we talked about at Flip Hacking Life. It's that the core values, the culture of your company and what you're doing, even from the very beginning, if you're intentional about what you're doing 
and how you're doing it, then p- the people that come on board, the people that you follow, they all see where you're going and see the direction that you're going, that, that the direction that you want to take the company. So it's, it's really incredible just talking to somebody that I've never met before that isn't in our world. And it's, it's just like we speak the same language. We think the same way. We're reading the same stuff. We're following the same people. And it just goes to show that when you're around the right people, it's, it's really, it's the most important thing that we can do is just surround ourselves with people who are just like that. Think like us, act like us, these entrepreneurs, they're all over the country. They're everywhere. And just finding them and getting them in the right room and spending time with them and figuring out how we can grow together, how we can work together, how we can share some of the same secrets. And he even said some of the events that he went to, some of the books that he was reading, some of the podcasts that he followed, all those different things got him to where he is now. And it wasn't just him coming up with everything. And that's it. It's just about hacking the pros. He used the term hacking a lot. And so that's what, that's what I built my business off of. That's what a lot of our members inside the mastermind group are doing. And that's how we're growing. We're growing together. We're not doing this on our own. So um, if you guys are in that place and you're looking for something, you're looking for whether you're just getting going, whether you're, you're doing hundreds of deals a year, we have a place for you here at Seven Figure Flipping. So I want to encourage you guys to go to, if you're ready for the Seven Figure Altitude Mastermind Group, go to seven, the number seven figure altitude dot com and apply. Apply to join us. Just put in your information, a little bit about what you're doing, some of the things that are working and not working in your business, and we'll just jump on a quick call and talk about it. And it's not nothing high pressure. It's just, are you the right fit for us and are we the right fit for you? And if you're not, if if we're not the right fit for you, we're going to let you know. And we're looking for people just like Josh was talking about. We were talking about fit our core values, that fit our culture, that want to do the things that we want to do. If what we're saying and what I'm talking about on this podcast resonates with you, then you probably would fit in really, really well with all of our other members. If I brought anybody on this podcast right now, they'd be sharing the same kind of message, the same kind of core values, the same kind of structure, the growth, where they want to be and what they want to do. So if you want to come join us in the mastermind group, I highly encourage you guys to just go to sevenfigurealtitude.com and fill out an application. And then for those who aren't ready for the Seven Figure Altitude group, just go to sevenfigureflipping.com. We're rolling out new things right now. We've got a plan uh, coming up of what we can do for newer investors since our Seven Figure Runway is closed until October. Obviously, we have our event, Flip Hacking Live, and, uh, in October. And then the Seven Figure Runway will open up again, or I don't know, maybe we'll have something new that we're going to uh, come out with around that time. So, if you're ready for Seven Figure Altitude, go to sevenfigurealtitude.com. I'd love to see you in Atlanta, April 17th and 18th. We got a phenomenal event coming up and we're all going to get together, the runway members, the altitude members and mastermind together in Atlanta. So go to sevenfigurealtitude.com, fill out your application and I will see you guys on the next podcast. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Seven Figure Flipping Podcast with Bill Allen. If you want to grow and scale your house flipping or wholesaling business, check out more insider tips and strategies from the nation's most successful real estate investors at sevenfigureflipping.com.